you doing? And hello to all the ladies, gents, and everyone else in the audience. I am so glad and grateful you decided to stop by and listen. And welcome back to the third and final installment of episode two of Did You Hear? We Are Here, the Seussical Stories podcast. A podcast dedicated to talking about anything, everything, and all things Seussical, created by a fan for the fans. When we last left off, we talked about the arrival at Boston and how everything went haywire and heptic with changes to the sh- both the show the creative team, as well as the internet, and how that affected the show's ability to really develop in peace, and just overall the chaos that went down from the best, the backstage aspect of the show. And if you haven't seen the first two parts, parts one and two of episode two, please go check those out so you can get caught up and know what we're talking about. Part one talked about its initial creation with the reading, the workshops, and Aaron's and Flaherty's involvement when getting on board. Episode 2 talks about Boston and all the drama with that. And uh, so you want to listen to those first before you come here. Otherwise, it'll be a, just a tad bit confusing, but not by a, a whole lot. Otherwise, if you have, sit back, relax, and let's kick off the final part of this trilogy with the arrival at Broadway and what had what led what followed that with stunt casting, uh, ticket ticket sales, and what how the show was able to thrive out, outside of Broadway with regional and community productions, as well as the changes to the score and script that also came along with it. So, enjoy! was a bumpy time to say the least and they decided that you know we really gotta get up get our game back together before we go to broadway uh which would be in about two to two to three months when they would arrive at the richard rogers theater um and the cost for the show was coming around at about 10.5 million dollars um so what some things that they tried to keep with the show um, in hopes that it would make it better, was that a day for the the song called "A Day for the Cat in the Hat" had been added either I believe during Boston because there are pictures that uh, serve as evidence for this um, in order to capitalize the iconicness of the cat in the hat and hopefully distract from the show's main flaws. Um, and Eugene Lee was replaced by Tony Walton to liven up and create new sets that were very different from the literal copy and paste solid Seuss drawings that were on the stage that kind of served as too flat and too like three two three dimensional and not fully uh developed pieces of uh the set that would serve the story in a way that was really fulfilling uh, and Willie and Ivy Long's costumes were really colorful and simplistic with the human characteristics that they were trying to find uh with the show initially um, so finally, after everything that happened, the show arrived at the Richard Rogers Theater in New York on November 30th, 2000, and, uh, they really gave it their all and were just praying and hoping with everything they had that they had done it and that, that the show would just be, would be what everyone had hoped for. And it 
wasn't. Broadway audiences were confused with who the target audience was, and critics felt like it was trying too hard to be the top spectacles like The Lion King or like the Beauty and the Beast. Um, and it just, the spectacle didn't match the story, and the mixture of the character-driven performances didn't work, as it just felt like some were more cartoony than others, some felt like it was trying to be a comedy, some felt like it was trying to be a more serious show, or a kid's show, no, they couldn't tell, and it just felt like they were, uh, they felt like they were watching two or more shows at once, um, and financially, it was not going well either, because the max potential gross of ticket sales ranged at about uh, seven, $755,427 per week on average grosses of $400,000 sorry, per week, uh, despite it costing half a million to make the show run alone. So those first few months were really, you know, it just felt like we were going through Boston all over again. And to try and help um during i believe the show's first opening week and during december they were invited to be on the rosie o'donnell show which was a very popular american tv uh broadcast and talk show uh featuring the host rosie o'donnell of course who was a famous comedian and um actress who did a lot of movies but was also a huge fan of broadway um and other theater things. So she went to see the show on opening night with her kids and just fell in love and felt so impacted and inspired by the show that she would invite them to come sing two numbers on her show. Um, and they would also be featured in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, but, you know, when the show was struggling to get people into the theater and boost ticket sales, they actually called up Rosie because she was uh, friends with Fran Weisler and they they were talking about it and said, oh, yeah, you know, the show isn't doing so well. A lot of people don't like it. We're still being bashed online. And it just, it's, it's really hard on the cast and the crew and just we don't know what to do to help the show and we're worried about closing in January and then which is actually true. They were going to close in January because that's usually the season that Broadway shows take a huge dip and a lot of closings happen, um, which from the little I know about how Broadway works, that's one thing I know. Um, but then Rosie was like, well, maybe I can help. Like, what if, what if I step in? And so on her TV, on her TV show, she announced along with Kevin Chamberlain that she would be stepping into the role for a four week run. Um, for her popularity uh, with both TV and theater audiences, uh, as well as, again, her admiration and extreme support in favor of the show, having uh, it performed twice, on, um, as well as having a backstage feature on opening weekend. Um, so uh, she increased ticket sales from about, from around uh, $292,000 for the week of January 7th, 2001, to 551,000 from January 16th to February 10th, 2001, which was her the the time for her full run, bringing uh in $618,000 by the end. So, and she also was just really popular with uh with the audience because of how much she played with the role 
and just made it herself, but still making it this own separate character and really brought in a lot of her talk show host elements into it. And but you would what you would think would kind of just make the show over, more overwhelming, but it actually did a lot for its favor and really helped with the chaotic, uh, but still not chaotic in a in a good and uh friendly way sort of vibe excuse me um so but after you know she uh or while she was doing this they kind of stopped talking to david shiner uh who they put on a paid leave vacation to germany with his family um and he just did not get a lot of say or positive um talk with the show um both uh, of the show itself or his contribution because a lot of what the critics also said was that he was kind of a downer as the show's main lead and his inability to dance and really sing uh, carried made it, made it an extra weight that the show had to drag on with. Um, and after Rosie left, he came back for a few weeks but at that point, the Weisers just pretty much just stopped talking to everyone in the cast and crew as they soon realized that the best way that the show was going to stay afloat and breathe the remaining air it had on Broadway was with celebrity casting. Um, and the only way they would find out any of this, the cast and crew, was like Boston through the internet. Um, and David just, he got, um, he just, he had enough and was, he, he left on his own terms, and despite the negative reception towards him, especially, uh, he was still proud of what he had done and still saw himself as the true cat in the hat that the show was not taking the time to really appreciate. So they brought in one final person to do this role, who, which was famous Olympian and athlete and uh, Broadway, known for Broadway's Peter Pan, Kathy Rigby. She stepped into the show for the remainder of the Broadway run and had a very physically challenging take on the role for, you know, doing a lot of flips and splits and kicks, uh, very much in her, uh, in what she knew, both from um, doing the Olympics and also um, as Peter Pan, where she did, which was also a family show that she did a lot of um, energizing uh, tricks and uh, features on. So, uh, the final really teen, uh, celebrity cast that they had was with teen pop sensation Eric Carter, uh, who stepped in to play JoJo, replacing Anthony Blair Hall briefly uh, through April and May. Um, and that in itself was also kind of uh, an interesting time because Aaron was the brother of popular artist uh, Nick Carter of the Backstreet Boys and he kind of had to live uh, under that shadow of his brother and trying to make his own career but at the same time he was a kid who was going through everyday kid problems and everyone saw him as this huge star when he was still was struggling with his own personal things and the only person that really gave him any sort of place to lean on was uh ensemble member natasia i think i'm saying her name right i'm sorry if i'm not diaz um who was a bird girl and part of the ensemble who was really the only parental 
mentor he had at the time of the show who would under who would understand and really uh advocate for his mental health and well-being and telling him like you know despite you're in a business now you still got to take care of yourself if you want this to go well and for you to go well so like i don't know take a walk take a bath watch your favorite show listen to your favorite music just take care of you first before you do anything else because what you're doing here is already a, a not an, a non-normal like child experience on its own so the fact that you're just you're here to just make us look better is just it's it's a lot and you definitely need some time for you before you can really help help you need to help you before you can help us um and but he still had to carry that sort of persona of acting as a very self-entitled like teen boy who was just didn't care about the world what anyone else thought about him and kevin chamberlain one time saw him spitting on fans at, below in the balcony of his dressing room and thought it was a very interesting experience for lack of a better word um and after that the celebrity casting did eventually die out and because of a lack of awards only getting one tony nomination for kevin chamberlain's performance as horton um and i think they only got two drama desk nominations um they got nominations but they never really got awards they got two drama desk nominations to my knowledge for janine lamana and kevin chamberlain uh one tony nomination for kevin chamberlain and then a grammy nomination um but they came they came back empty-handed so um despite that uh the lack of popularity positive critical acclaim uh positive audience reception and ticket sales the show closed on may 20th 2001 after 198 performances and 34 previews so that was quite that was quite the journey that it had um from its start to broadway and it just felt like it just crashed and burned and that would be the end of it and no one would bother like gertrude to remember this sad excuse for a show ever again i'm just saying that to like really emphasize the dramatics of it not that i think it's a sad excuse for a show obviously um <laughs> so when the show went on tour they saw it Aaron's and Flaherty as a chance to do a lot of rewriting and rework the show so that it would flow better and that they wouldn't have the big Broadway spectacle and really tone it down to back to the simple sets and garage sale vibe that and playground aesthetic that they had when they were doing the workshop. Um, and they, uh, after the tour, it the tour got a lot of positive reviews and um acclaim from the audience and critics so um they eventually did a theater premium audience version produced at the coterie theater in kansas city that was uh helped with by jeff church um and they did a lot again the reworkings made it so it'll, the show was only about 75 to 80 minutes if we're doing the if you're talking about the theater for young audiences version the junior version, which was only an hour long, and then a, a, a junior junior version, or the kids version, that was 30 minutes. Um, 
and just all these they did all these mini tours um and again they produced it regionally and it became one of the most produced shows in america and one of the most beloved uh theater shows in america and while they were doing tours um theater works usa uh which is a american theater company here um offers to they offered to uh uh keep doing they decided to do another tour of the show another more tours of the show under their name and per, and and leadership and production followed by an off-broadway production at the lucille lortel theater in 2007 which which in which that production also got its own uh recording in um its own cast recording in 2010 So in the end, um, despite everything it's been through from a promising future in the beginning to a rough and downward bumpy spiral, um, pretty much sliding down a slide of nails um, with the Boston and Broadway, Susical still managed to get the last word and laugh in and rise again, like Lernaren says, like the phoenix. Um, again, for new audiences and productions that can be performed at schools and community theaters. And it's really just found its own success um, through its workings and um, its newfound purpose for, um, the, for the younger audience. So with that said, that pretty much wraps it up. And now you know uh, how this show came to be and how it's uh, gain a following for and love for, and respect and appreciation for its messages and themes and everything from people like me um, who love it so much that they're willing to make an entire podcast out of it. Um, so that concludes this episode. Next episode, we are going to talk about uh, my personal feelings about the show, which aren't really negative for the most part. Um, all really positive and even the negatives are just like things where it's like I don't hate it I just think it could maybe sound like this or something so um for now though thank you guys so much for listening um this one took a lot so I really appreciate it that you listened and support the show by following us and maybe even someday if we get a patreon kind of thing going then you can support us there uh we're trying to get ads here uh, with how Anchor works, which is the thing I'm using, um, we need 50 listeners to get ads. I know ads are tedious, but, you know, it'd be nice to get some money in so that me and my crew of two other people can make this somewhat more professional and not just a bunch of people getting together and making a susical project for themselves and make it enjoyable for you guys, too, and make it better. So let us know how you liked it or what you, you didn't like about it. Uh, follow us everywhere. Uh, you know, ask us questions um, on our socials, but uh, thank you guys otherwise again for coming in and listening and until next episode, see you in Salasalu! All the things you can think All the things you can think All the things you can think